All right, so we're in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 24 through um, 2-5 this morning. So if you would be turning in your Bibles uh, in whatever form, fashion you have of the Word of God, do that this morning. That'd be great. And uh, just want to kind of catch us up real quick to where we are. I mean, Paul has been just pouring out his heart, uh, his love for Jesus, his love for the Colossians, and we're going to see that in even greater fashion here, that, that Paul's going to really share his heart with them. What's amazing about this is he's never seen them. Remember, he's in prison. He, he's not, he didn't plant this church. Um, Epaphras did, uh, and he sent word to them by, by Onesimus and Tychicus, and so he's, he's trying to love a church he's never seen, and we're going to hear the depths of his heart. We've already heard that he knows who they are, and he loves them, and he's been praying for them, and we're going to see even deeper his great desire for them. And this is, uh, the, should be, the desire of every minister of the gospel for the people of God, and it should be the desire of every Christian to want to grow in maturity. And so uh, before we get into that, I do want to ask you a question for you to think about. Um, who has most encouraged you in your Christian walk and union with Christ? And I'm sure some of you, it's multiple people. It's not just one person, but who has really helped you to grow and benefited you? And that's worthy of thinking about because, again, it, it usually our maturity doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's really rare that we truly mature uh, by just studying things by ourselves. We need iron to sharpen iron. And for many of you, I think you may make the assumption that I know the word the way I do because I went to seminary, and that would be untrue, actually. I know the word the way that I do because of a man named Lee White. And Lee White was my Paul, and I was his Timothy in a sense. And what Lee did is for three straight years on Thursday mornings at the Dwarf House in Stockbridge on 138, um, is we would come in and go, okay, what you been reading? And so I would, I would talk about what I've been reading and making observations about the text. And he was far enough along that he could push back and, and ask questions about those things. And we just did that. We, and he would tell me what he was reading. And I grew from, from hearing his uh, wrestling with the word. And so Lee was a very important person to me. I am not at all uh, who, who, who God intended me to be without Lee White, without that iron sharpening iron. For the little bit that, that I had time to be with Sam Larson, Sam Larson had a profound impact on me here at Christ Community Church. He was also a teacher of mine in seminary. And so there's a number of people that I too could name, and it's important for me to do that, and it's important for me to recognize that that's not yet over. I'm not a finished product, and I need to continue to be shaped and put myself in situations to where the word and how I understand it and those kinds of things are being pushed against. And so to that end, I'm part of a pastoral cohort that's actually going to meet for a retreat in October. And the thing that we're going to study is union with Christ. And so uh, you're, I'm sure you'll hear way too much about that as Colossians is about union with Christ. And so what, what a joy it is to have other people who take time, who invest in us. And most importantly, and I think this is where I think this is where we, we need to grow up a little bit. Um, and most importantly, actually push against us. And say the, thing, the hard thing to us that we think is not, it's not a lack of humility to actually say the hard thing to somebody because it takes great humility to risk your own kind of friendship, to risk your own um, just image, to love somebody well enough to say, hey man, I don't, I don't think you're doing right. I, I don't think your heart's in the right place. And you may say, well, golly, I, I'm surprised you can see around all that lumber in your fat head. I mean, right? Okay, well, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're actually getting into something that's of, of vital importance to, to actually love one another well. And I know, I get it, different cultures and conflict and all that kind of stuff have different kind of ways of thinking about that. But all growth, you need to understand this, all growth requires pain and conflict. All growth requires pain and conflict. For those of you who work out, doesn't it have to hurt for you to grow? For those of you who diet, doesn't it have to hurt for you to grow? Uh, for those of us who study anything, you've got, to, you've got to give something up to get something. And so, so there's a real sense in which it has to hurt to grow. And I think that one of our great problems is we're so, we're so enamored with the idols of safety and security. We're so enamored with our own image and worried about what somebody else thinks about us instead of being most concerned with what Christ has already declared about us 
as son or daughter, that it is robbing us of the phenomenal opportunities to grow in maturity. And so uh, I, I think we've got to wrestle with that. And so if you think, so as part of that, think about the person who has helped you the most. Did they not at times have the chips to say to you, you need to grow, this, this isn't right, you need to grow, you're not handling this well. And if they loved you, they said it to you. If all you ever got was superlatives, they were lying to you because nobody's that good. Nobody. And so be thinking about who has encouraged you in, the, in your Christian walk in union with Christ. So let's turn to the text and see how Paul declares his joy and suffering for the maturity of the saints in Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now, I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that they may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now remember, Paul's in jail. And so he's rejoicing in his sufferings. Now, you ought to, it ought to call to mind Hebrews 12, for those of you who know that passage. What does it say that Christ did for the joy that was set before him? He endured the shame of the cross. Now, what was the joy that was set before Christ? What joy could Christ gain from the cross? The people of God, the church, he died to win her. He died to win us. He died to save us, to redeem us. So knowing what he was going to endure. Now remember, in Gethsemane, what did he say? And he was very honest. This was not just done for effect. He said, Lord, may this cup pass from me. If there be any other way. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. So he was willing to endure the humiliation and the stroke and the brokenness and death in order that we might have life. He was made sin so that he might take on our sin and we would become his righteousness. Amen? And so Paul says, for that same joy, I suffer on your behalf because I am filling up the afflictions that are still left in Christ's body. Now here's what's... Scholars have a lot of different opinions on what this passage means, but, but the, the, given the context and everything that Paul said, the best interpretation is that to fill up the affliction is actually to see the family grow bigger and bigger. In order for the family to grow, we are going to have to suffer. Remember what we said? All growth requires suffering and challenge of some kind. And so what Paul is saying is the family is not yet, not yet full. Think about what, what Peter says in 2 Peter. He says there are those who think that Christ tarries. There are those who think that Christ is, is that God is, is just, he ain't coming. And Peter makes it very clear that the reason that he tarries, the reason that he has not yet called it to order is because he longs for the family to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that should be our heart as well. That is Paul's heart. He is, says, I am willing to fill, those, fill up the necessary affliction for the family to reach whatever size it is that God has determined. And he's determined for it to be bigger than any of us have ever determined, by the way. And so it's not that Christ it was lacking in his death and resurrection. No. No, there's, but those who are called in his name, the church is going to suffer in order for people to come to Christ. Now, what does this mean? All right? It means that um, you're going to have to share the gospel with your family. Now, why did I start there? 
Because that's sometimes one of the hardest and worst places of all to try to share the gospel. Because they knew you back when. They, of all people, can say, oh, it's interesting, you're, you're pointing out specs. <laughs> that, all that square footage of lumber, I know about you. Right? We are going to have to love our neighbors. We're going to have to love people who are unlovely. We don't get to, you're not made righteous so that you could say that you're right. Do you understand? I almost wish we had another word because it's just too close. We're made righteous because we were wrong. We were wrong and continue to be wrong outside of the work in union with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So be very careful that you don't get this twisted. To love people who are unlovely hurts, doesn't it? To be loved when you are unlovely hurts, doesn't it? To be vulnerable when all you want to do is appear perfect hurts, doesn't it? So here Paul is saying that that's the affliction that is left to be had is that in order for the family to grow, we, we the church, will have to suffer in some way, shape, or form. Some of you are thinking, I'm having to suffer this right now. Is this enough? I don't know. Maybe check with the guy who's in charge, not me. Um, some of you may be thinking that, that just, just you know, whatever it may be, that there are subtle things that you're suffering in some way, shape, or form. Remember, all suffering ought to produce something in you and in someone else. It should help for the maturation process. And so here he's saying, I'm filling that up in my flesh. Now, why does he say that? Well, we haven't really gotten yet to the false teachers and kind of what's going on with them. But what he's really pointing to is he's saying the false teachers, they haven't suffered anything to bring you their false message. And they're not, they, they haven't been ordained by anybody. They don't have any scars upon them. I am in prison. I have never seen you. And yet I love you. And I suffer on your behalf. These guys just show up. Take your money, because a lot of times what would happen is false teachers would show up and they would get paid to teach false teaching. And they didn't suffer very much, and oftentimes martyrdom was the great dividing line. And so Paul's saying, these guys aren't willing to die for you. These folks aren't willing to suffer for you. They're just coming to make you suffer and make you submit to them. And so he's making it very clear that his calling, what he's doing, has been authenticated by his suffering. It's been authenticated by his imprisonment, and it proves tangible. Now, this word mystery says the mystery that is being made known. What does that mean? Well, uh, think back to the Tower of Babel, and I've said this to you guys before, that it's really important that you have some understanding in at least big picture ideas of the first, say, 20-some-odd chapters of Genesis, at least through the Abraham story. There's a really good argument that you ought to really know the first five books of the Bible, but I think that's a lot to throw at you right now. So let's just stay with those first 20 or so chapters. That You just need to know the big headings. You just got to know the big ideas because the Tower of Babel story shows up again and again and again. And what, what was the real issue at Babel? Well, all these people got together on the plain of Shinar and they said, look, I know that God wants us essentially to display his glory in the world, but that's not safe. That's not secure. And we're probably not going to get a whole lot out of that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we all get together and make our own city that nobody can get into unless we let them, like a commune of some sort. And let's build a, a tower or a ziggurat to heaven so we can control access to God so he can't just go showing up anytime he wants to and doing what he wants to do. We'll control the understanding and thus control the city. Remember God's response? He thought that was cute, didn't he? He, he thought that was great. No. He scattered them and destroyed what they were doing because what they were doing was ultimately going to destroy them and coming generations. So his judgment falls, right? So anytime we think we can control the gospel, it's understanding and determine who and what we are by our own understanding, we have failed. Um, Francis Schaeffer, and I've, I've said this before, and there's been others who've made this statement, but 
And I know it's a, a provocative statement, but it, it's actually true. Um, you don't get to decide if you're a Christian. <laughs> that just messes with our American radical individualistic sensibilities. That, some of you just got mad and you're not going to hear another word I'll say. And that's okay. Wrestle with that because if you can wrestle with that and get to a, a biblical conclusion, that'd be worth you getting some barbecue at the end of this service. And so, so some of us think, that no, you can't, you, can't, you can't judge me. Oh, but yes, I can. And I know you're thinking, well, wait a minute now. Scripture says that you can't judge. No, no, no. If I judge you, I'm going to be judged by the same measure. You understand? And I can't judge you by false categories, which is really the issue that was being dealt with. Remember, the tree must have some kind of fruit. And for some of y'all, it's okay that it's little tiny berries that can barely be seen. At least it's fruit. And for some of y'all, it's, 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 it's great big old fruit, and there's certain seasons where it grows better than others, and there's certain seasons where pruning must happen, and the soil must be cultivated. I, I get it. But hear me. You don't decide whether or not you are a Christian. Everyone around you will decide that. God does ultimately, don't get me wrong, on the meta-theological level, but on the earthly level, those who are around you will decide by the love that you have for one another, by the way. I'm just quoting John 15 at this point. And Paul's saying, essentially, listen, I don't want you thinking you've got control of this. This was a mystery. So when he uses the term mystery, what he's saying is it is something that you cannot get to by your own reasoning. You cannot figure this out by your own understanding. It is a supernatural truth that can only be given to you by God's will and the work of the Holy Spirit. And what is this mystery? That God loves the whole world. The Abrahamic covenant, it comes to the Gentiles. This is why it's so important. Remember, I preached an entire sermon series on the Abrahamic covenant. We talk about the Abrahamic covenant all the time. Chapters Genesis 12, 15, 17, and so on. And so it, it, it's critical that the great mystery that's coming to fruition is that God loves people that we don't love. That God loves the kind of people who didn't have the law. He loves the kind of people who weren't born in the right family. He loves the kind of people who cut themselves with pot shears. He loves the kind of people who couldn't figure out their sexuality for a while. He loves the kind of people who are prostitutes. He loves Samaritans. He loves those who've been married five times. He loves them all. But here's what's really important, because Paul's going to go on. Though he loves you as he finds you, he does not leave you there. And that's the critical turn. So often what we want is God to love us as he finds us and then leave us alone. That's what we want. And we don't want to change. We don't want to grow. The flesh knows. One of the reasons that Paul says that his suffering is tangible, that it's being filled up in his flesh. It's because he knows something just out here is not never, it's never going to be enough for us. It must get down into us. It must change us completely. So this mystery is not something that, that they can't get to. It's just they can't get to it by their own effort. They cannot save themselves by their own works and their own good deeds. It's something that God must reveal in his time. Notice it says that. For a season, it was not made known. And then, in the fullness of time, it was made known, this mystery, that the Abrahamic covenant just so happens to be the gospel. That every nation would be blessed in the people of God. That is our calling. So Paul goes on to make it very clear that, that this occurs because of the the, the fullness of the counsel, the whole counsel of God's word. He is to make it fully known to them. This is one of the reasons why we preach both Old and New Testament. It's one of the reasons why our, our services hopefully are filled with scripture. We've, we've actually gotten over time, which is an odd complaint to me from people who go to church, but you guys have too much scripture. You read too many verses. I'll take that stroke. That ain't real suffering either, by the way. And so, so it's important that we take it all, both as we saw in Hosea, God's redemptive judgment and his redemptive grace. 
both redemptive, both work to bring in the people of God. You can't have one without the other. You wind up with a truncated gospel. And so, Paul's making it very clear that it is his calling. His, he, he uses the term stewardship. What a beautiful term and a very convicting term. I'm very convicted by that as a pastor because I, I oftentimes uh, uh, fail to remember kind of the position. I oftentimes kind of think of myself as just, just one of you, one of the guys, just hanging out. And that what I say is not being heard through a different filter. That what I do is not being seen through a different lens. And I realize, slowly but surely, no, this is the calling. This is why I'm worthy of, not double reward, double judgment. And that is a, a thing of great gravity. And I've been very affected as I've studied this this week. And again, I hope it will result in the pain and, and growth and change for the greater good of the church. And so... He says he's a steward of these things, and it's his job to make it fully known. Why? So that they could be presented fully mature. Remember Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, where it says that, that Christ calls all the people that he calls uh, so, that, so that they would help uh, grow the, the saints for the work of the ministry. That's my calling, and that's been a very helpful thing to me. And I know some of you are offended when I make this statement. It's, it's okay. I, let me clarify after I say it. Um, I am not the activities director on the cruise line of your Christian life. And now here's what I mean by that. Does that mean we can't ever have fun? No, we're going to have lunch afterwards. I just didn't plan it. You don't want me, I've made this, you don't want me planning stuff. Not that kind of stuff. The fun stuff, because I don't, I'm not in there. I don't know. I don't know how to have fun all the time. Sometimes I do. Uh, and, so, and so when I say those things, I'm not saying it to be, to be harsh and say that getting together and, and doing other things are not important. No, they are. But that's somebody else's calling, not mine. My calling is to help you grow in the fullness of the stature of Christ. Which means what? What have, what have we been saying? There will be confrontation. There will be times when sparks fly. There will be times when my sinfulness creeps in. There, there will be times when you don't want to hear it and you're in the wrong. And there will be times that we'll need to apologize to each other. Is that such a bad thing for a family to do? No. It's what families should do. No family doesn't get on each other's nerves at some point. No family doesn't clash and get it wrong sometimes. Consider this for a second. How many different personalities do you think are in this room right now? Just wild guess. Ever how many number of people are in here? Because every one of you is uniquely made. And I who am one of those personalities, is trying to interact in some measure with all of those different personalities. And guess what? Sometimes I run afoul. And sometimes I don't get it right. And sometimes y'all think I ought to be more perfect than I really am. And I appreciate that because that's, that's, I take that as a compliment. Not, well, kind of, yeah. But I'm not going to live up to it. I'm just telling you, I wish I could to meet all your needs because deep down, I am a wicked, broken people pleaser. I know that is, as you guys are thinking, that's, you're crazy. No, really, deep down I am. But the calling, the calling calls for me to push that aside and put that, crucify that on the cross and instead love you as Christ has called me to love you, which means sometimes there will be conflict and suffering. And so Paul is, is saying the same thing. He's saying, I want you to be mature, and I struggle with this, but I do it with all of the power and the strength that Christ gives me because I am in union with him. And that, I'd love to be able to say that. I'd love to say that every struggle that I've had was done in the power of the union with Christ. Some of it's just been in my own flesh, truthfully. And I've failed. I'm sorry. Christ still loves me, and he still loves you. I think we can make it. 
And so I long to struggle in the power of the Spirit and not in the power of Cameron or Cameron's vision or Cameron's timing. I do. Just as you long for me to struggle in the power of Matt's timing and Caitlin's timing and Lexi's timing and Jules's timing. I didn't pick those people out on purpose, so you're safe. It's okay. I don't know anything. Um, but, but it's just, it is, right? We all want it to be in our timing according to our boundaries. Instead, we should, we should seek to be pushing each other to be greater in, in terms of the biblical call and Christ's timing. If you would hear uh, Dick Lucas's quote about this, um, I think it, it sums it up well. He says, for it is precisely by teaching the word of God that the church of God is to be served. This is why we are so adamant about the preaching of the word. We're so adamant about it being so much a part of the whole of our service. And, and you may be thinking, well, you could do more. Yeah, we could, but we're running, we're running out of time. And if we ever go to two services, we're going to have to do even something less. Um, and so, uh, for it is precisely by teaching the word of God that the church of God is to be served. It is by the truth of the gospel that the church is formed, sustained, and equipped. This is why we must be biblical. And for those of you who are, um, who are saints, you should be maturing in the Bible. You should be growing in your understanding of it. And I've said this to you before, your study habits can't remain the same. As you mature, so must your study habits. Now, I'm afraid some of you heard something wrong there. I did not say you should study more. No, in fact, it may be that you get more out of a more efficient Bible study. Uh, this, this past year, I've been studying the Psalms. And so uh, it, it takes, I do a psalm in the morning and a psalm in the evening, uh, if it all works out that way, and it doesn't always, by the way, and, uh, and I'm using commentaries uh, each, as I cycle through, I'm going to cycle through the psalms probably four times, and I, I read it and, and kind of meditate on it for about 20 minutes. <gasps> Is that all he's doing? It, it has been Amazing. What, what I have learned from the Psalms, it has been amazing how the whole of the Bible has come through. Yes, it's been efficient. Whenever I was doing the Murray McShane, uh, I was clocking probably 45 minutes to an hour at a clip, just trying to, trying to keep up and figure it out and catch up, right? Am I right? Catch up? Uh, just so you can stay on task. And so, uh, so there are times when, yes, there are seasons when I study longer, but that doesn't, more, so hear me rightly, more does not necessarily equal mature. You have to vary it in order to be able to appreciate it and let it get in down deep inside of you. So um, you just have to vary what you're doing, right? Um, and so if you have questions about that, make yourself vulnerable. Let's talk. Talk to one of your elders. Let's, let's see what you're doing. Don't be afraid. And so to mature, we are going to have to be stretched. We're going to have to grow. If you're in a Bible study of some kind and you don't bring paper and pen, I'm suspicious about what you're taking away because I don't know too many people that are just fantastic at taking an hour and a half's worth of content and memorizing it because we're not all auditory learners. Mark things up. Get inside of it. One of, one of my favorite people in all the world was at Strong Tower was a guy named Eddie. And Eddie was in jail for 15 years for almost beating somebody to death at a tried to turn off a football game, and it was actually his brother. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, and so Eddie uh, becomes a Christian in prison, comes out, and starts coming to our church and our Bible study. And uh, Eddie was a big guy and, and, and was in, intense, and uh, he would read the Bible. And I just loved the way he read it because he read it with such, such wide-open eyes. Uh, there was nothing that, that missed kind of his glance. He had questions about everything, and, and he really just absorbed it and soaked it in and loved it. It was so hungry. And there was one, one men's study in particular where uh, we're all sitting around and, and Tom would say, all right, who wants to open us in prayer? And so for those of us who were on staff, we oftentimes wouldn't do it because we wanted to see what the other guys were going to do. Okay? And you got to understand there was probably 15 men in the room and we've been doing this for a year. And none of the men said anything and Eddie explodes. He says, y'all got to be kidding me. Can't none of y'all pray? And storms out. Now you may be thinking, oh, in that neighborhood, that was nothing. 
there were no cuss words and there was no violence. And so actually, that was pretty, that was actually pretty good. Uh, and I loved it. I loved his intensity. I would love, don't go doing this trying to get, think you, think I'm going to notice and like, if you because if you do it wrong, it's just going to be bad and we're going to have to have meetings and emails and let's not do that. But I love the fact that he got, as men, a, a year in here of studying and can't nobody pray? That's not right. And it's not right. Uh, to the 12 or 13 men who showed up for men's prayer this morning, I know many people had different things going on, but to the 12 or 13 men that showed up, thank you. You are a small representative of the men of this church. We could do better. Um, and so, what are some ways in which you have matured in Christ through the ministry of the Word over the last year? This is a great question. And if you're not maturing, you need to ask some hard questions. Why? Why? But first, start with you, as Michael Jackson has encouraged us to do, to begin with the man in the mirror. Start with you, right? And ask some hard questions of yourself. If you're not, are you, are you just not taking up the tools that have been given to you? Are, are you not, are you just, are you not, uh, and you may, may be thinking, man, you don't know how busy I am. You might be talking to the wrong person who's known busyness the whole of his days, who worked three jobs, went to school full-time, worked two jobs, three jobs to take care of, make sure everything was okay with our kids during a season in which Susan wasn't working. Yeah, I don't, and I'm not healthy in that regard either, by the way, so that's why I'm the wrong person to kind of bring that up to. But I get it, but you prioritize, you find time for what's important, don't you? And you need to ask questions of the things that you find time for and you prioritize, are they actually helping you get where you want to go? But are you taking up the tools that are being offered to you? Because if you're not, you're without excuse. Now, if for some reason we're actually not giving you the word, preaching the word, teaching the word, discipling in the word, well, then you need to find another church that does that. And if you can't get it here because of your issues with this, that, or the other, you got to go somewhere. you got to go where you can grow. But you ought to do that having asked some really hard questions and had some hard conversations before you do. Because family shouldn't be that easy to walk out on. Family shouldn't be that easy to give up on. And so, how have you grown in the ministry of the Word over the last year? If you haven't, let us help you. Let us talk. Make yourself vulnerable. It's okay. You'll live through it, and we'll still love you, and hopefully you'll still love us with what we have to say back. You would turn back to the text, and let's see Colossians 2, 1 through 5. This is Paul's struggle. The encouragement, unity, and assurance in Christ. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, the the term struggle here doesn't quite get at it. The Greek term really is agony. He's saying I'm agonizing for you. And so how in the world is Paul agonizing? He's in jail. He ain't never seen these people. We can't come to him. Well, he's doing it in prayer. This is probably one of the most convicting things for me is I don't, know that, I don't know that I've agonized in prayer before. I, I, I'd love to tell you I do, and I, I long to grow in this regard. Uh, I have in some seasons. That's actually not entirely true. I didn't gesture at my wife because it was her. I just, it was just unknowing between us. And so he's agonizing in prayer. Remember, he already told him, since we've heard of you, we've not ceased to pray for you. Now, I'm not telling you you can't work or eat and you just got to agonize in prayer. Don't hear that. Nobody needs you, you, you to do that. He's doing that on their behalf. Why? Because he's in prison. And that's all of the tools he's got left in addition to sending a letter. What's so convicting about this is Paul doesn't allow his circumstances to keep him from taking up the means of grace. 
That should be convicting to us all because we, many of us, are allowing our circumstances to keep us from taking up the means of grace at our disposal. He's saying, I've agonized for you and for those at Laodicea so that your hearts may be encouraged. Now, sometimes I think we hear words oddly. Now, when you hear encourage, most of you guys are are thinking, well, um, that goes against conflict, right? No. No, sometimes the greatest encouragement you need is to get tuned up. Sometimes the greatest encouragement you need is that somebody loves you enough to say, you are falling away. Notice, Paul doesn't mince words in other places. Right? What he says to, in, in 1 Corinthians, he has to go back and say, now look, I know I was hard on you guys, but don't forget I still love you. And he had hard words for Peter. And how does Peter respond? The end of 2 Peter's like, listen, Paul's got some hard words. And y'all thought he was just talking about the letters. Now, he, he felt them direct when he was at the barbecue and the Jews came up and he took off running with barbecue sauce on his lips and was trying to hide, right? Remember that story? A little, I tw- yeah, I added a couple things there. But it's kind of the, the image, right? He was hanging out with Gentiles. And the, and the Jews come up and he, he gets out of town because he don't, he don't want to have to explain this. It, God's already told him. In a vision, when he went to see Cornelius, the Jerusalem councils already ruled. Why is Peter fleeing? Paul tunes him up and then, and then includes it in a letter. Tells everybody, I tuned up Peter. And Peter's like, yeah, Paul tune you up. He'll tune you up his letters and tune you up in person. But he's a good man. And you need him. Don't avoid him. So here he's agonizing in prayer and he, he, he longs to see them encouraged, but encouraged in what they ought to genuinely be encouraged in, which is the person and work of Christ. Finished for them, the hope that has been laid up for them in heaven, the sure and fixed reality for all eternity. That's what he wants them to be encouraged in. And he wants them to be knit together in that reality and nothing more. So often we, we look at each other and we go, I, I don't don't have a whole lot in common with these people. No, you do. Your need for Christ and redemption in Christ. And that is an eternal union. So you got plenty in common. It's just you're you're too busy talking about the wrong things. Not being honest about things that we need to be talking about probably. Think about the topics we can't talk about. And don't get scared. I'm not going to go on a, I'm not going to talk about them. I'm going to mention them. Just say, Frey. Sexuality. Y'all got uncovered. It got real quiet all of a sudden. You're like, there's kids in the room. I know, and they're being influenced, and not by us. Parenting. <gasps> we can't talk to each other about our parents. All of you are struggling at some level if you have a kid. And all of you are pretending to not be struggling because you're assuming that the other people aren't struggling and you want to just look good. And you're, you're weary. Every single one of you needs somebody else who's either gone before you um, or who is in it with you. And you need to be having these conversations. And we, the church, need to be equipping to this, but it has yet become one of those topics. Like you, first, you're still mad about the Christian thing, but, but also the parenting thing. You're like, you can't. You can't talk to me about this, parent. Well, what manual did you read? If you're so perfect at it, then you teach the class. I'm fine with it. Other things, too, that we just don't talk about. Our own brokenness and sin, politics, religion even. We've got to even be careful there. We've got to make sure we stick to the topics that we all agree on. We're drowning. So how are we ever going to get mature? If we don't grow up, if we don't begin to be stretched, if it doesn't hurt somewhere. Unless we reveal ourselves. How are we ever going to be knit together in love if we don't put some skin in the game? Now listen, I I don't know if Bill's assessment's correct. If there are 250 of you, not in the room, that includes the kids as well. So there's probably about 160 of you in here. What's the likelihood that we're going to be best friends and hang out? First of all, you may be saying, dude, I, you're, I'm close enough right now. I'm good. 
there's just not that many hours in the day, and I love you. And I, and I wish we could all hang out, and we're going to do that for an eternity for those of you who make it to the other side. I plan to be there. I hope you do too. Uh, and so, so we'll, get to, we'll get to figure it out on the other side, but for now, there's just, I, I, don't, I don't have that kind of bandwidth, and you, by the way, don't either. And so, and so it's hard. I, I, I wish I could. And, and, and one of the things I'm trying to do is very intentionally have people over for dinner. And, and, and golly, you could invite me to your house too. Uh, yeah, there's that. And so, uh, and so I'd love to sit down and at least get to know you at some level. But the likelihood is we're not ever going to be real close. We're not going to probably share inside jokes a whole lot. I wish we could. Um, but, but it just doesn't all work that way. There's not enough time. And the calling is to maturity. And so the majority of my time, I have to spend investing in that. And so if you want to join one of the Bible studies that I have going on, that could be helpful, right? I mean, and some of you are thinking, don't, don't do that. It's, you, you walked out of one on Tuesday. Uh, it's not safe. I get it. Uh, but, but what I want you to hear is I'm not what you need anyway. You need each other. It was beautiful to see Kate and Emily meeting at Starbucks this morning, and they were so freaked out that I was there. They were like, oh, so just so you know, I study at the Starbucks right down the street here. So come at your own risk. Uh, I'm going to be there almost every Sunday reading Dostoevsky or David Foster Wallace or preparing for the whatever. Uh, And it's fine if you come in. I've got in headphones. I don't have to interact with you if you don't want me to. It's safe. Uh, But just know it, right? Um, and, but it's beautiful to see and hear that you are beginning to reach out to each other. I had a, uh, jokingly asked Amy Maffitt about her coven, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's kind of a witch society. She doesn't have a coven. It was a joke. But she's been meeting with some women in Woodstock, and, uh, and they've been encouraging each other for months. Amen. She didn't ask my permission. Uh, and she wasn't getting away with anything either. It was fine. It's beautiful. That's what we should be doing. Be Christians love each other well and recognize there is nobody with a hotline closer to God. You've got the spirit at work in you and mature in that, grow in that. Amen? Because of the fullness of the counsel of God's word and fullness of what Christ has done for you. And Paul even recognizes, he says, look, I I get it. There's some plausible arguments. For those of you who are teenagers and those of you going to college, you're going to hear some plausible arguments. Be careful, because just because they're plausible doesn't mean they're right. And here's, let me encourage you in this. For all of the, the pushback that, again, I'm talking to probably our teenagers and, um, and college students for the most part, but uh, any of you who fall in this category, use the same level of critique with everything else that you use on Christianity. Use the same level of of investigation, the same level hermeneutic of doubt, the same pressing on it. Do it with everything else. Because it's fascinating to me, especially on the issue of sexuality. I'm going to get into it just a little bit, as it turns out. There's a, a swallowing wholesale of the entire project, whatever it is, whether it's 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 um, the whole tender hookup culture which the Atlantic has written extensively about. You know it's bad when even the Atlantic's kind of going, I don't know if this is good. Uh, <clears throat> but they've been writing about it. So you swallow it whole set. The whole package, you don't question any of it hardly. You're just like, all right, this is just the way it is. Really? That, that you would just swipe right and your life would be changed? You don't question that? That there's not more to it than that? Or whether it's the transgender or the other, any of the other issues of sexuality, there's an entire package that we don't question hardly any of it. We just take it wholesale. And yet with Christianity, we are jot and tittling everything. Well, how old's the earth? I don't know. I wasn't there. And the Bible actually doesn't give a number. Right? Uh, you could ask the same question of sexuality. How long have we been coming up with this idea? Shouldn't that be critiqued? And so use the same kind of critique for everything that you would place on Christianity and see how it goes. And make yourself vulnerable to talk to some other people about it. Right? 
If it's so true, it ought to stand the test of those who've gone before. If it's not, it will topple just like Babel. And for your good, by the way, because the toppling of Babel led to the call of Abram, which meant redemption. Amen? Which is the mystery that Paul had told us about. So, F.F. Bruce says of this portion of Scripture that Paul emphasizes that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. You cannot grow as a Christian in a vacuum. You can't. You can only go so far. There's a cap to it, right? You're only going to be able to grow with iron sharpening iron truly. And so this is Paul's longing, that they would be encouraged in their heart, that they would be knit together in unity, and that they would grow in their knowledge of the mystery and the fullness of who Christ is. What a wonderful thing for him to agonize and pray over for the church. Amen? So what encourages your heart? And remember, the word encouragement doesn't just mean soft and fluffy. But what actually calls you to move to do something? That If it encourages you, it should move you to act. What helps you to grow closer to other Christians in love? For some of you, you may think, not spending time with them? (laughs) No, actually, I think it it should. We should be challenged. It should should be tough. Because we don't have it right, by the way. I know that's hard. I'm Presbyterian, uh, and I confess. I don't think we have it completely right. I just don't know what part we're wrong about. And it goes on to say, uh, I ask you this, what serves to grow your understanding and knowledge of your assurance in Christ? What, what builds you up in this regard, in your knowledge of Christ? And what are some ways in which you are cultivating all of these things with the means of grace at your disposal? What are you doing to cultivate? Because it doesn't happen by osmosis and it doesn't happen accidentally. It must be intentioned. So what two things should we take away from this passage? First, that Paul's example in ministry teaches us to take joy in the suffering that helps mature the saints in union with Christ. If you're a parent, you will suffer to see your kids grow in union with Christ. And um, I had a great conversation with somebody the other day. I think sometimes as parents, we're too cautious. We kind of fall in the ditch on either side. Either we're like ridiculous, tyrannical, like forcing it down their throats, um, or, or we just are so, I just... You know, I don't, I don't want to influence them. What? You're called to influence them. Uh, and so it's okay, but, but the best thing you can give your children is an actual tangible, visible living out of the gospel. Not just word, but word and deed. And then second, Paul's example of ministry calls for us to struggle. We should struggle to encourage and unify and assure the saints in their union with Christ. We should be building each other up. Amen? David Garland, as a closing, uh, and this actually will transition us well to our time for lunch. We actually got one more song, and then we'll have the benediction, uh, and then I'll pray for the meal. Um, but, but so much of what we're talking about over lunch is, is really how we, we've seen the beauty of the church be the church here. Flawed as it is, flawed as I am, flawed as this whole thing can be, God has been good over this last year, and I hope that we can celebrate together. And that, all of you are invited. All of you are invited. We've got plenty of food. Um, We still need all of you, if you don't stay, to move your chair to the perimeter. Uh, That would be great. And then the setting up of the tables. Remember, five rows of seven. Zach, what did I say? Dude, I I picked the wrong guy on that one. Robbie, five rows of seven. Okay. All right. Uh, I... I had such high hopes. Uh, and so five rows of seven, remember they're pointing this way, all right, uh, for those who helped set up the tables. But, but listen to this. David Garland says, as Paul served others with dedication and sacrifice, so churches today should take seriously their servant role, listen, in the world. Remember, In the high priestly prayer of Christ, he says, I'm not calling them out of the world. I'm not calling them to fortresses. I'm not calling them to cordon themselves off and remain clean. Leave them in the world, Lord. But fill them with the gospel so that they can display the glory outwardly to those who would hear. He goes on to say, churches, listen, churches are not here to serve themselves. 
or even simply to serve Christ. They are here, uh, they are to serve like Christ as instruments of God's reconciliation. Now, this is a very important quote for us because we are trying to pay off land and build a building which could seem incredibly self-serving. A lot of money will go into that and it'll suck up a whole, like a giant tornado, suck up a whole bunch of resources in a hurry. But why do we want to have that building? Just to let the guys off the hook who have to do setup every week? That, that's a nice thing. It's a bonus. We'll take it. But hopefully so that we could reach more and more people and it serve as a missionary outpost from which we can equip the saints for the maturing of the work of the ministry. Amen? Any other reason to build a building is worth tearing it down, not building it at all. So let's be the church in the world for the life of the world, for the sake and cause of Christ and the glory of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for his willingness to suffer for the joy that was set before him. Even though it was for the Colossian church, we still have this letter today, and may its words encourage us. God, we thank you that there was a, a saint who's gone before, though he himself admits he was flawed. There were times he despaired even of death. He begged for the thorn to be taken from his flesh. He was not a rock star. He was just faithful. And his words haunt me that at the end of his life, he said, there was none to stand with me but Jesus. So God, we recognize that this can oftentimes be a fruitless endeavor in the ways that we think about fruit and look at success, and yet faithfulness is the fruit that you long for in every one of your saints. May we grow in our faithfulness because of the hope that has been laid up for us. May we grow in our love for the other saints because of what Christ has done for us that is fixed and eternal and unchanging. God, help us to love one another truly and beautifully in the gospel for the cause of Christ, for the life of the world. In Christ's name, amen.